Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Welcome to the Puck and Pigskin Podcast, presented by Belly Up Sports. Just great sports fans talking mostly about hockey and football, sprinkled with a bit of everything else. Now, here's your host, a Flames fan with a Golden Knights backup plan, Jason Bizek. All right, I'm joined now by former junior and pro hockey player turned humanitarian, Ryan Phillips. Ryan, welcome to the Puck and Pigskin Podcast. How are you doing? Doing very well, thank you. Uh, very grateful to be on the show, and I uh, hope you're having a wonderful day. And uh, everybody listening, I hope they're having a great day too. Sending you all the best with health and uh, <laughs> everything else that's going on in the world these days. It's kind of uh, a little bit crazy, but uh, hopefully things are coming around here quick. Yeah, it seems they are. Um, so let's start by, I guess, first uh, telling us a little bit about uh, where you grew up and uh, how how you came into hockey as a kid. Uh, let's start there. I grew up in North Vancouver, uh, British Columbia. And, uh, you know, I think I was born with a hockey stick in my hands. And, uh, you know, I was skating by the age of two, playing organized hockey, uh, but five five or six, I guess it was. And, uh, you know, that was just like uh, millions of other Canadian kids. The dream was to, to make it all the way to the show. And uh, I was being, uh, you know, scouted by, you know, 13, 14, put on a protected list with the Tacoma Rockets in oh, the wow. Western Hockey League at 15. And, um, yeah, I just kind of went from there. I left home at 16. Um, I opted to uh, go the scholarship route, maybe. So I started off with the Kelowna Spartans in the British Columbia Junior Hockey Team uh, League at the time. And um, yeah, that first year away from home was tough, uh, plagued by injuries and, uh, you know, just a few uh, just uh, adversities. And, uh, but, you know, life, life goes on. You know, you say humanitarian. I always say uh, I wish everyone could be uh, just a, a good human. Uh, that that word humanitarian is overused. Right. So just opening a door for somebody is to me is being a humanitarian. And, you know, for me, uh, how I go about my daily life is I just try to do uh, the best I can, be the best person I can be and uh, hold doors open and whatever else comes along, along down the pipeline. I just, you know, I just do so. Kind of like being divinely yeah. guided, right? No, that's yeah. No, that's great. Um, so you mentioned that you entered uh, the BCHL with the Kelowna Spartans. Um, you kind of uh, mentioned uh, so you were drafted by them, or 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 were you not drafted by them? No, I was actually put on a protected list uh, by the uh, the Tacoma Rockets at the time. Oh. And uh, this okay. before the draft, it was one year before they actually had the draft uh, in the Western Hockey League. So that was back in uh, 1990, 90, yeah, 1990. I was put on that on the protected list. They wanted me to go as a 16 year old to play in Tacoma, but 
I was still not sure whether or not I wanted to take the the, the college route or, um, you know, right. fast pace it to the NHL, uh, which, uh, you know, I thought oh, I'd be in the NHL by 18 or whatever. But, um, you know, uh, unfortunately, but everything I believe happens for a reason. Um, I got hurt uh, that first year as a 16 year old playing in Kelowna and, uh, you know, a little off ice adversity as well. And, you know, things happen. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, that next year, uh, I went and played in Tacoma and, um, I was, uh, you right. know, rated, I was rated in the, you know, high third round at that point. Um, uh, unfortunately, but things happen for a reason. My, my, uh, the story of Ryan Phillips was plagued by injuries and, uh, a lot of substance abuse on, on the side as well. And uh, a lot of that was, to, mm-hmm. to, you know, to mask the pain. It started off with, uh, you know uh, painkillers and all that kind of stuff that, uh, you know, goes along with, uh, that culture at the time. Um, you know, I was hit yeah. from behind, uh, uh, my seventh game into the season when things were actually going really well. And, uh, I sustained, uh, you know, a really, really severe concussion, uh, got my bell completely wrong. And at the same time, I broke my shoulder in three places and dislocated it. Oh man. And, um, but at that time, so I missed actually almost that whole season. I played only 25 games. Um, I had actually caught pneumonia, uh, when I was ready and healthy to come back into the lineup. Um, we were actually in Spokane and we took a licking the night before in tri cities. And, uh, our coach at the time, he said, um, I don't want to see any of you guys around the hotel at all today. Uh, it was like minus five out in Spokane. And uh, he's like, go, go for a walk for a few hours, whatever. And, and I didn't have my jacket uh, down in the lobby. I said to the coach, I said, you mind if I run upstairs and I put my jacket on, please? And he said, no, I don't get the hell outside, whatever. <laughs> all I had was a dress. I had a dress shirt on. And I started feeling very unwell when I was in the old uh, Spokane arena there, uh, almost ready to take a uh, warm up. And I was just feeling very off. Um, anyways, I caught a viral pneumonia. And so uh, my season was limited to 25 oh, games. Man. I got bi- got bypassed in the draft, uh, deemed injury prone. And, uh, you know, I went back to Tacoma that very next year. And, um, you know, there's a lot that went on that first year, obviously, with, you know, the, you know, the initiations, the rookie hazing, um, the concussion, the concussion that I sustained. I had no idea that it was a concussion. And after that one hit, it's kind of how like mm-hmm. one hit kind of can define somebody's, you know, uh, you know, reality at that time. And, um, you know, I, I couldn't think straight. I couldn't, you know, I wasn't seeing the puck straight. Um, just everything was very convoluted in my mind. And, you know, unfortunately, I yeah. powered through it and did the best I could. But the best I could was, you know, playing at like maybe 50% of my uh, of my capability. So uh, I was traded to Regina um, yeah. that second year in the Western Hockey League. Um, I think I played 12, no, 16 games I played in Regina. And I, I had almost a point a game playing on the second and third line. So I was very optimistic talking to NHL mm-hmm. scouts again. And um, I... Another uh, another bell ringing. Uh, on, it was a forty fifth game of the season, and uh, I broke my collarbone in half. So um, it was a, the sixth round I was rated in that, that year. So I was still rated. I, was, I thought I was going to go, but um, you know, Mister Injury Prone, yeah. I guess. Um, you know, 
the universe had uh, other plans for Ryan Phillips and um, I end up, uh, you know, not being able to finish off the season or play in the playoffs. Went back to Regina mm-hmm. the following year and uh, there was a new coach. Uh, him and I kind of butted heads a little bit. Um, he butted heads with a lot of people, uh, you know, in his tenure. And Who, has, uh, which, which, coach, which coach was that? Uh, his name was Norm Johnson was his name uh storm and norman yeah, norm johnson because oh boy yeah because yeah. i lived i lived in regina around that time he, yeah i lived in regina in my nightmares regina around that God. time and we we went to pat's games yeah <laughs> i i've heard so, things about norm i guess back yeah, i guess back then back then there probably wasn't a whole lot yeah, back then there probably wasn't a whole lot of focus on concussion and, and protocol, I guess. So, uh, you know, for guys to get their bell rung and to continue playing was no big deal back then, hey? Absolutely. Yeah, there was, uh, you know, you just it was just getting your yeah. bell rung and, uh, you know, you get up <clears> and you do the best you can. If uh, other bones aren't broken and uh, you can, well, look at Paul Correa back uh, in, in the, when, the, when Anaheim went to the Stanley Cup. He doesn't yeah. ever score in the goal. You know, uh, Paul and I grew up together in uh, in the same area. Our families were really coach, uh, really close. Uh, my dad actually coached Stephen, his younger brother. Um, so, I mean, Paul doesn't remember. I think it was about almost two years of his life. He doesn't remember after that uh, that one hit. Yeah. And uh, you know, you can just imagine. I mean, Paul was probably one of the. I mean, in my opinion, I mean, I've never seen a junior hockey player as talented as Paul Korea. It's just absolutely incredible. And, uh, you know, his dedication to the game on and off the ice was incredible. And, um, you know, you don't, you don't see or hear, uh, much about Paul, uh, anymore, but, uh, you know, he's living in California and, uh, you know, he's surfing out in the water with Niedermeyer, uh, I think almost every day, just, you know, getting into the flow and the energy of the water, which probably helps him with his healing process. And, uh, because it's an ongoing Mm -hmm. thing, obviously, um, yeah, so um, I actually, uh, when things weren't working out with Storm and Norman there, uh, uh, <laughs> I think I think I was seeing like uh, maybe a shift or two a game as a 19-year-old. And, you know, I, I had high hopes that year of coming back and, you know, doing really well. But, you know, we butted heads. And unfortunately, there were some things that went down between him and I that um, maybe it'll come out uh, a little bit later. But there's some, you know. Um, I heard about some of his, uh, you know, his tactics and his, uh, you know, um, you know, motivation through, uh, you know, intimidation. And that just wasn't the way that, uh, you know, in my opinion, uh, that you motivate players, you know, by, you know, um, Mm -hmm. you know, putting the fear of God in them to, so to speak, sometimes, you know, I was scared to walk into the dressing room. Um, but, uh, you know, he thought I was a spoiled uh, BC rich kid. Little did he know that my dad was out of, uh, out of work at the time. And, uh, you know, he used to, yeah, I remember him asking me, how much does your dad uh, uh, give you, send, send you a week, you know, in front of the whole team, which made me feel pretty uncomfortable. Obviously, as, you know, a young guy oh, man. trying his best, uh, you know, just to, just to do his best or whatever. But, um, um you know, things happen. And, uh, I actually went to Vernon in the British Columbia league uh, again and, uh, you know, put up some good numbers and, um, you know, I got a, I got a, an opportunity to go play in Wichita as a 20 year old halfway through the season and, um, you know, kind of bounced around in the minors there for, you know, minor pro leagues, Wichita, San Angelo, Waco, and, 
you know, I think I, there was, there was more fun off the ice than on the ice. That's for sure. But, um, you know, <laughs> I, I, I wouldn't change a thing, you know, every, everything happens for a reason. And, you know, you know, that led into other things, which leads into other things. And, you know, um, you know, no regrets, <laughs> no regrets at all. So it's the relationships that I met through the game that, uh, that is so close to my heart and, and continues to be, it's like a brotherhood, the community. And, uh, you know, even though the culture has taken a beating lately with a lot of the things that have come up and, uh, you know, I've been asked a lot of questions myself, uh, especially, um, probably a lot, uh, you know, in due part, uh, to when I wrote across Canada for mental health awareness. And, um, so, you know, um, a lot of these players were, uh, you know, mistreated in my mind. And uh, I'd like to think that things are getting better. Um, even, you know, obviously with the awareness with concussions as well. Uh, I'm very passionate with, uh, you know, brain health and trying to, you know, bring a lot of awareness to that as uh, my concussions, uh, you know, all the symptoms that I had, I was misdiagnosed as being bipolar. Um, which wasn't the case, um, you know, uh, years of, uh, oh. of my own. yeah. So maybe I am bipolar. Maybe I've suffered from depression. Maybe I've been sad. Maybe I'm with this or that, uh, you know, you can label people, uh, whatever way you want, but, um, you know, we all have things and we all go through stuff. And, but at the end of the day, um, I'm just, you know, I'm a spiritual being in my mind, having a human experience and all part of the experiences, you know, is what you go through. And it just leads you into the now where, you know, you just put your uh, best foot forward and uh, just try to do your best and uh, give back. And, uh, you know, first it starts with yourself and, uh, you know, give yourself love and uh, try to forgive everything for what you've done in the past, move forward and, uh, you know, try to do good things in life. And that's, what I try to do, I try to use my creative faculties and just uh, really try to do the best I can. Yeah, no, that's good. Um, so obviously a lot of your uh, junior hockey experiences kind of, as you put it, lead, led you down the road to some poor life choices and uh, led you to eventually uh, getting arrested. Uh, was that in the U.S.? You were in the U.S. when you were arrested, right? And, and did uh, two years in a U.S. prison? Uh, it was in the U.S. Um, well, playing in Tacoma, um, you know, I met a lot of people at parties that uh, desired uh, the cash crop uh, BC Bud. And, you know, this is obviously yeah. years and years. It was like modern day prohibition. It was, uh, you know, back in the mid 90s. And uh, I'd have buddies of mine that would, uh, you know, come across the border and they'd put marijuana and uh, and deodorant sticks and you know we'd be at these parties with you know guys from the university of uh of washington and you know just that scene you know it's the fast lane scene you know in, whether you're in junior or professional whatever it, it's like uh you know the drug dealers are partying yeah. with the hockey players and the athletes and it's just you know that fast lane lifestyle and um so when things working out weren't working out with hockey um it just kind of fell on my lap uh you know it was very accessible in British Columbia and uh, accepted, so to speak. Uh, it wasn't really frowned upon. Yeah. And um, yeah, so I, you know, was one of the, you know, pioneering. This episode is made possible by PwC. It's getting hot out here. Moving the mercury can help move your business. PwC helps turn sustainability theory into real world action. 
Reduce your carbon footprint while increasing transparency in net zero commitments. Start with reporting to identify your climate risks and reinvent your business. Create a more sustainable business and a stronger planet. It's all part of the new equation. Learn more at thenewequation.com. Gentlemen in that uh, industry, I've, I've never, I'm not a violent guy, never shot a gun, um, never wanted to hurt anybody. I just saw that there was an, an opportunity to make the kind of money that these NHL hockey players made even more. Um, and, you know, at that time, you know, my psyche was driven by a lot of greed, a lot of cynicism and um, just got caught up. And, but it was, it was one of those things that it kind of gelled because I was, you know, it was very similar to the hockey culture, except the, the hazing, <laughs> so to speak, um, where, uh, you know, uh, it was, you know, part of a team and, you know, gave me the chance. I was, you know, I was leading the charge and, uh, you know, I always had that, you know, kind of, an, uh, you know, my imagination took me to places where I was able to find routes across the border. And in the beginning, it started off where I was driving it across and, uh, you know, it was so cheap in, in British Columbia, yet down in the States where it was, you know, highly illegal. Uh, and little did I know the consequences if you were ever to get caught um you know they paid uh, almost double mm-hmm. so you're you know killing it in profits and uh you know i became a very young millionaire and uh, my ego was the size of manhattan and um it just grew uh, literally grew and then grew and grew and grew and um you know when i was 24 um uh some things went down actually uh, a guy that i was playing hockey with uh, was one of my drivers and um he actually got uh, followed uh, by the DEA, um, and uh, I, I actually had a, a hiking uh, bushwhack kind of thing that was uh, mapped out through helicopter aerial maps that I had, and uh, it was like, anyways, I found a way about two and a half hours outside of BC, or sorry, BC, outside of Vancouver, um, that was our gateway to, um, you know, over to the other side of the border. Um, he was followed. We, uh, you know, went up the logging road, eight hours through the bush, got to the other side. My intuition said, don't do it. After he said, I think I might've been followed. Um, as you've probably, uh, you know, watched the national oh, geographic man. episode and, uh, you know, not everything in that national geographic episode is factual. Um, a lot of it was for obviously for TV. But for the main uh, main part, right. uh, you know, it was, you know, um, mostly I would say 85 percent true. Um, you know, they, 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 they spin things off, obviously, for entertainment value. And, um, you know, it is what it is. But, you know, now I'm able to tell my story on a different in a different way. And, uh, you know, with like, you know, the utmost mm-hmm. truth, what I what I live by. And um, yeah, I did that. Uh, I got good time. I got uh, sentenced to 24 months, but I did 18 months and uh, with the good time and whatnot. Um, and I didn't learn my lesson right away. I came out and I was, uh, I was like, you know, uh, university for criminals uh, being in a federal penitentiary as a young kid. And, you know, they knew obviously uh, the connections that I had in British Columbia. So I came out and uh, turned into planes and rigs and farms and uh, Zodiacs and I mean, you name it, uh, you know, then open up markets, you know, all down through the West Coast and uh, Chicago and um, uh, New York. Um, yeah, it was 
crazy, crazy, insane life that brought in, you know, so, hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars, um, you know, for not just, not for, you know, not for me, it went through my hands. Um, you know, I probably accumulated, I, I've said before, probably, I would say $30 million in that, in that business. I have zero donut dollars from that, from, uh, thank God. Uh, cause I consider it, you know, it was blood money and, um, you know, I, uh, there was threats on my life. Uh, things got really, uh, really big. People started more, pe more people started doing it. When I started doing it, it was more like young punks with spare cash. So I said, uh, in previous interviews and yeah. whatnot, and, um, you know, we didn't see any harm cause we weren't hurting anybody, but when, you know, people, you know, big gangs, like, you know, I'm not going to name the gangs, but when they see, uh, you know, how much money you're making and when they hear what you're doing, they want a piece of you. And, um, you know, I had really no choice other than to kind of collaborate with some of these people. And, um, yeah, I was, I was the mastermind behind a lot of, you know, obviously what was going on. Um, it's crazy days. Yeah. Crazy, crazy, insane days. And, uh, I'm so grateful that I'm not part of that anymore as the business is dead anyways, it's legal and yeah. uh, accepted. Um, and uh, it taught me a lot about life. It, you know, uh, it, it actually gave me the opportunity to travel the world. Um, you know, I was, uh, yeah, I guess, you know, you get caught up. And then uh, next thing you know, you get scared uh, to death because uh, people uh, <laughs> aren't too happy with you because uh, they're jealous. And, um, you know, you don't really see it because you're caught up. And, you know, with, uh, you know, all the fancy cars and the material. Right outside possessions which to me means absolutely nothing to now you know it's uh to me uh you know happiness is an inside job and um you know no one's gonna give you happiness uh until you're okay with yourself so you know a lot of inner work obviously had to be done uh around that and um you know having your freedom taken away was probably one of the worst things that ever happened but one of the best things that happened too is that i actually there was a lot of time for self-introspection and, um, I mean, like I said, mm -hmm. if I could do it all over again, I, no regrets. Um, you know, the story's out there, uh, <laughs> but, but the real, real story will be coming out, uh, you know, uh, probably in about, I don't know, a year and a bit or so, because we're, I mean, actually in negotiations right now with actually, you know, signing a deal for actually a series that will be, uh, you know, Netflix original. Um, so, oh, okay. Uh, on the on the whole life story and on the, on how it all went down pretty much so yeah integrating the whole hockey yeah. into the weed thing so i don't know maybe they'll call it hazed you never know <laughs> so hazed hazed and confused hazed and confused i was definitely hazed and confused at the time <laughs> but uh you know actually my best years in that business is when i kind of when i smartened up i got sober and uh um, I, you know, I, I ran it like a fortune 500 company. I really did. You know, I had, a you know, a, a, an accountant running all my books. Uh, you know, I had three safe houses, one for New York, one for Chicago, one for Los Angeles. And, um, yeah, it was just, uh, I was buying probably almost 80% of the marijuana in BC at the time. And, you know, I just, I was at that wow. point, I'd smartened up and I was away from everything. So I could actually, I could be traveling the world and I had three Blackberries too, one for Chicago, one for LA, one for New York. And so it was like, yeah, I, I could be anywhere and be running my business with my guys that were all working, you know, 
with and for me, so to speak, you know, in Canada and down in the U.S. And um, yeah, so was, I was uh, young, dumb, resilient, and uh, but then I, you know, finally got the wake up call, and uh, you know, it's not fun when you get guns put to your head, and you know, you you, you know, you, you feel threatened that you're, you know, you might not uh, be walking out of that room, and um, yeah, things happen. So, yeah. but you know, there's uh, there's always uh, light at, at the end of the tunnel if you make good decisions in life. You know, I believe everything comes down to cause and effect. And, um, you know, I made the decision to, uh, you know, obviously leave that industry. And uh, I, I dedicated my life to world service. Yeah. And, and that all, I think, began with a, a bike ride across Cambodia in 2012. Is that correct? It did. Yeah. Um, so I, I came up with a name called Return to Happiness. And I just wanted to be happy because... I was miserable. You know, I was, uh, all the money in the world will never make you happy. You know, it's like I said, happiness is an inside job. And, uh, and, and, in the words of the great Abraham Lincoln, you're only as happy as you allow yourself to be. And, uh, you know, what made me happy always was, you know, giving back to others. Even, even when I was in that kind of decrepit game that, you know, takes no prisoners. So like literally, um, I was, I always really, it was just, I just wanted to be loved and accepted and received for me. And, um, you know, I don't know how many cars and houses and properties I had and all that. And, you know, I mean, I, I'd get sick and tired of driving a vehicle after two weeks and give it away. And, um, you know, I was, I always liked the underdog. So I'd be trying to help, you know, guys get ahead, uh, financially, because it was just so easy at the time. And, and, you know, obviously that, you know, the crop was so abundantly available and, um, it just, it yeah. was insane. It was insane because I had all these contacts and it was like, I, I mean, it was, uh, what do you do? <laughs> you know, it's like, here's the opportunity and you have all the means to do it. And, you know, I, you know, I, I don't want to say, I, I think humbly would be the wrong word, but I mean, I kind of created a bit of an empire there that uh, struck back and got me. <laughs> yeah. So, but uh, I mean, um, so then. Life. Like I said, yeah. I, so I made a decision to change my life and uh, I wanted to, uh, I was getting really into, you know, personal growth. Um, you know, I read that book, The Secret back in 2006 and, uh, you know, all about the law of vibration, the law of attraction and whatnot. I've been, I've been living my life like this my whole life. And um, so I wanted to actually put those principles into action. Um, another book, Think and Grow Rich uh, by Napoleon Hill. And uh, it said, you know, you can be, do or have whatever you want uh, if you follow a certain steps. And so I followed the <laughs> steps in the book. And um, my dominating desire at that point, desire was the starting point of all achievement was to go back down to this, have the opportunity because I was banned from the United States of America forever. No chance of ever going back down to the United right. States again because of my crime. You know, they don't like international drug smugglers in the United States of America. So, um, <laughs> you know, I, uh, I started doing short videos and blogs and, you know, I never went to film school or anything like that. I just uh, was... Whatever I could do to, you know, try to just make this world a better place was my intention. And um, I came up, like I said, with that name, Return to Happiness, because I just wanted to be happy. And, uh, 
So I, you know, pulled myself away from it, which wasn't easy because, uh, you know, I was, you know, the leader of the pack kind of thing, you know, and um, uh, I ran things a certain way. And uh, obviously there was a lot of mouths to feed. Um, but, um, you know, I, went, I decided to film a movie called Return to Happiness. And uh, I ended up over in Southeast Asia. I, I love Southeast Asia, Thailand and Cambodia and Laos, like these, these third world countries with young kids. And I wanted to help kids. You know, I wanted to help kids and yeah. I wanted to show that anybody can change for the better. And so I just wanted to, you know, be a good example for, for humanity. And uh, I, I actually wrote on a card with the principles of that book, Thinking Grow Rich. And I said, I will definitely be allowed in the United States of America by a certain date. And it's actually a principle called auto-suggestion, which is the medium for influencing the subconscious mind. And we now know that our subconscious faculties okay. are like 10,000 times more powerful than the, the conscious mind. You know, we work out of our conscious mind, but our subconscious mind is literally like the connection to source, so to speak. And, you know, we're, you know, you're molding energy through your thoughts, like thoughts become mm -hmm. things. So, um, I just kept reading this card for about two years, like literally 50 times a day and with emotion and feeling and on the back of the card, it said, love, faith, service, give back happiness. And it was all, you know, cause I really wanted, I had to get down and see my daughter again. And, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think yeah. I, I laminated, I would read it even when I was in the shower. <laughs> you know, I'm so happy and I'm so grateful that I, I'm allowed back in the United States of America so I can see Sadie again. And uh, it just so happened that while I was uh, over filming this uh, film, Return to Happiness, and you guys, I'll, I'll send you a link and you can share it with all your, uh, you know, your viewers mm -hmm. and whatnot, because uh, I do believe it to be uh an inspiring film where it shows actually in time that you can have whatever you want in life and i believe that it's all about giving back you get what you right. give and you know to give is to receive and uh so i'm in lao which is a tiny little uh country that borders uh thailand and cambodia and vietnam and uh, i got a call from an actress friend of mine and uh, she's like, oh, you're doing this movie about happiness over in, uh, in Southeast Asia. I'm in Los Angeles right now, but I'm going to be uh, doing this bike ride in Cambodia uh, to help uh, raise awareness for human trafficking and child sex slavery. And um, she's like, would you like to film it and show the positive aspects of giving back for your film? And I was like, I'm in. Absolutely. I'm, def I'm, I'm <laughs> full force. I, I remember I was skipping rope outside this little bungalow and uh I got, my my phone was ringing it was on the side of the uh, uh, of the road there this dirt road and um you know had the phone call with her and then i ran in talked to my camera guy and i said dude um there's an opportunity that we can fly over to cambodia and, and help kids you know young girls that have been sold into this horrific uh, obviously uh business of human trafficking child sex slavery and it's a bike ride I'm like, yeah. you down? You want to do this? And he was like, yeah, let's do it. And um, yeah, so. This episode is made possible by PwC. It's getting hot out here. Moving the mercury can help move your business. PwC helps turn sustainability theory into real world action. Reduce your carbon footprint while increasing transparency in net zero commitments. Start with reporting to identify your climate risks and reinvent your business. 
create a more sustainable business and a stronger planet. It's all part of the new equation. Learn more at thenewequation.com. This episode is made possible by PwC. A robot may not be coming for your job, but competitors are coming for your market share. At PwC, we pair the right tech with the right solutions to help you gain a competitive edge. Reimagine operations from the cloud, fuel innovation with responsible AI, and detect risks before they become headlines. That's human-led and tech-powered. It's all part of the new equation. Learn more at thenewequation.com. The, the bike ride was three weeks away, and uh, we, we flew out a couple days later to uh, Cambodia, which that country is so dear to me. Um, beautiful people, beautiful country. And um, that was uh, close to a three-week ride. And, uh, you know, we went, went across the country and visited shelters and met all these kids. And I just, like, came, so, I was so, like, you know, my heart just just melted for these kids and, you know, what they've been through. And it really actually reminded me a lot of, like, a lot of the hazing stuff, but on a way higher level. But I was able to kind of connect with them in that way and being open to, you know, um, understanding what that was all about. And, you know, these were, you know, young girls, you know, three, four, five and up um, that were serving, servicing up to sometimes 20 clients a day. Uh, there's, I did a TED Talks on that in 2016 about that journey, and it t- kind of depicts about a lot about that business and you know how bad it is and you know um, you know. Uh, anyways, uh, the day after the ride and you know meeting wonderful people along the journey and these kids and just feeling so connected to you know that cause at the time, um, you know I. Uh, the very next day after after uh, crossing Cambodia and, and doing uh, you know being of service, uh, I got a call from my father first thing in the morning. It was six a.m. I flew out of Siem Reap, Cambodia. Now I'm in Chiang Mai, Thailand. I wake up in the morning, and it was like six a.m. I said, and uh, it was my uh, my father actually got a letter uh, from the Department of Homeland Security uh, granting me uh, a humanitarian waiver uh pardon back to, uh, yeah. down to the united states of america uh so i could see my daughter again so dreams do come true you just have to have faith and belief and uh so thoughts really do become things uh and, and i guess that was uh living proof and uh i had i had some angels on my shoulder that's for sure yeah no kidding um, i'm just gonna we're gonna just, i'm just gonna show a little clip here of the video absolutely so then, uh, so after the bike ride uh, through Cambodia and experiencing all that, which we saw in the video clip that I just showed, a very, very moving video clip. Uh, it was a great video clip. And uh, I'll be honest, I haven't watched it yet. I'm going to watch it either tonight or tomorrow for sure. Cool. Yeah, it's actually, uh, you, you can... You can buy it off Amazon now, so I- or you can get, or, you, or there's, and there's the free link on YouTube and uh, it's a, it's a film about giving. So uh, I'm glad it's on YouTube and people can watch it for free. And uh, so I'm all about giving back. So, uh, you know, whoever wants to watch that, feel free. And I really, uh, from the bottom of my heart, I feel they can, I hope they can find some inspiration and know that whatever they put their mind to, they can actually accomplish. 
Right. And I'll definitely uh, put the links for uh, those below as well. Uh, so after that, I believe, is when you're, you're misdiagnosed with bipolar disorder. Um, how did that come about? Well, we can actually go back a little, uh, a little bit here. Um, I actually did that bike ride the following year. Uh, the first year we raised about uh, close to $200,000 for the foundation. And um, like I said, I felt very, you know, connected oh, wow. to these kids. Um, so the following year was 2013. And I rode across Cambodia and Vietnam. So within those two years, uh, uh, you know, traversed across three countries, uh, Cambodia twice, Vietnam once. And, um, you know, there was uh, no filming the second year. It was just, you know, straight from the heart. And, uh, you know, I, it was just all about love, man. And, um, you know, that just uh, basically just let, led me on the path of just uh, just wanting to just be the best person I could possibly be in, in, in every moment. And uh, just try to just try to be a, a, an example of, of positive change in life. And um, uh, after that, uh, you know, after when yeah. I got the humanitarian waiver, I actually moved down to Los Angeles and, um, you know, we finished off the film and whatnot. And, um, you know, went through some stuff there in Los Angeles, too. I mean, life's full of challenges, life's full of adversity, but it's how we tackle that adversity. It's how we react. And, um, you know, I came back to Canada for a little while and, um, you know, I was doing a lot of public speaking. I wrote a book. Uh, the book was called Return to Happiness as well. And, um, you know, that's available on Amazon if anybody wants to get it. And, uh, uh, apparently it's a fairly good read. I actually never read the book back. <laughs> I'll, I'll never, post all these links. It. Well, it's funny. I, you know, I, I wrote that book in 2014 and I wrote it down in my house when I, and I said, uh, I will not self publish. I will attract one of the top publishers in the world. And uh, I ended up at a book conference in 2015, right around the end of there. And I met uh, one of the top publishers in the world. And, uh, you know, he said he wasn't taking on any new clients. And uh, I sent him a little package that I put together. Uh, and at 6 a.m. the next 6.37, 6 a.m. seems to be like the, uh, a defining number or something like that. And I woke up, <laughs> I was at, at the Hilton at the airport there in, uh, in Los Angeles. And I had a contract and a book deal that next day. So, um yeah, so that book's called Return to Happiness as well. It's uh, and it you know depicts a lot of the journey of um, you know what 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 the, what's in the movie, but it also has a lot of you know my life experience there as well, and a lot of you know life principles that I you know to mm -hmm. this day live by, and um, yeah, so uh, you know wrote that book, and you know there's another book in, coming down the pipeline. Um, you know, started like I said, I was doing lots of public speaking at the time. Uh, and uh, back in 2018, um, I moved over to Southeast Asia and I, you know, my, my intention was to stay over there for quite some time. Um, I was just, you know, I, I've, uh, I love it over there, the weather and whatnot, and just the, the people are so kind and so friendly. Not that they're not in North America, but um, over there, it's like the land of smiles. And it's just, you know, it's, it's like constructive craziness over there, even yeah. though they have their issues. Um, you know, on, on the mental health spectrum, um, 
it's not as severe as it is here in North America. You know, it's not so, you know, the disease of more kind of, you know, rat racy, you know, I've got to have this, you know, the whole nine to five thing. And, um, you know, so it was, it was a time for, uh, you know, I was kind of chilling out and I was burnt out and I was feeling a lot of depression. Um, I, I after I got back from LA, mm-hmm. I'm going to go back a little bit too here. I was diagnosed with bipolar. I'd gotten out of a relationship. Some things happened in Los Angeles that were kind of, you know, turbulent. And um, uh, I was, I came back to Canada, saw a psychiatrist, and I told him a few things that had happened in my life and what I'd been through and whatnot. Um, I I was pretty impulsive with, uh, you know, you make money real fast, but it can disappear real fast as well. And, you know, I I was kind of, I was used to just, you know, having so much that, you know, I, I didn't really know anything else. And, you know, got into a few bad business deals, came back, talked to my psychiatrist about it. And he's like, oh, you're definitely bipolar. (laughs) So um, I was misdiagnosed with bipolar um, and thinking that I had bipolar up until 2019. um, When I went across Canada, I was, you know, I never took any meds or anything like that for it. Um, I knew that I had, you know, I, I've, I've struggled with substance abuse issues. Um, I'd been sober at that point, I think for five years, um, without, with no alcohol or drugs in my system. And, um, you know, I, uh, I decided that I, I, you know, while I was in Southeast Asia, I was like, I met a guy over there and he was, uh, traversing across. Yeah. He was actually doing a, a bike ride across the world at the time, uh, which, came to a, halt, a, a screeching halt when COVID came into play. But uh, I, 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 that it was, hmm. I woke up on a day, it was in 2019, early 2019. And um, I was like, I'm going to go for a run tomorrow morning on the river walk. And just like, I, I got to get through this d- depression, start like, just like living again. And I met this gentleman and he told me what he was doing. I said, do you mind if I join you? I've already, I've, 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 he's like, are you kidding me? You're not a cyclist. And I'm not a cyclist, even though I've done, I've, I've now, uh, <laughs> you know, thanks, uh, seven countries I've gone across, but, um, he, uh, he's like, okay, yeah, sure. If, if you're, if you're that, he's like, you're crazy, man. He was 21 at the time I was 43 and, uh, 43 going on 18. And, um, so I said, you know, if I'm going to do it, I want to do it for a purpose. I want to do it for a cause. And it was uh, for mental health. Um, I went across uh, Vietnam again, uh, Cambodia again, uh, Laos. I, I had not got, uh, ridden my bike across Laos yet. So we went across Laos and, and Thailand. And, <laughs> um, and then after all these, I think there was about 10,000 plus kilometers, uh, you know, with all those countries. And kind of just got me back into the groove. And I was like, my own country needs more awareness. And, you know, it's, you know, awareness into action. You know, you you can have the, all the awareness that you want, but it's how you take specialized action towards that awareness. That's, you know, my whole deal. And I came back uh, from Southeast Asia within two weeks. Um, You know, I didn't like go crazy and announce it to the world and well, to Canada at least. got some sponsors and uh, I didn't sleep for three nights before going across the country and uh, well, making the intention of obviously crossing the second (laughs) biggest landmass in the world. And um, 
yeah, I just went for it. Yeah. And uh, it was the best decision I ever made in my life. So opened up so many doors and opportunities and met, I've met so many amazing people along the way. Um, started off at mile zero, uh, at the Terry Fox pavilion in, uh, on Vancouver Island. Yep. And, I um, saw that. Yeah. Yeah. It was supposed to be 6,400 kilometers, uh, my journey, but I took a few wrong turns. So I think it was closer to seven, 7,000 at the end of the day, my camera guy got a little bit confused <laughs> and so did I. And, uh, yeah, I, I didn't sleep for three days. Like literally I was like, oh my God, I, I'm going across this I'm, I'm doing this okay well and i can't back out of it now because i said i was going to do it and when i say i'm going to do something i do it yeah and um yeah it was just it was, it was beautiful it was probably the uh i would say the 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 greatest spiritual experience i've ever had in my life i met so many people that were suffering and um you know it really opened my eyes to what mental health really is and how so many people are misdiagnosed and you know, um, you know, it's, it's, it's just one of those things. Mental health is very complex, but you know, I think, you know, we're, we're all so special and we all, we're all, we all have our own unique individuality, but at the same time, we're all universally attached and connected. And I was so just eternally grateful mm -hmm. to connect to so many good people across along the journey, film the whole thing and, uh, met Roddy Peterson, obviously in Regina and, um, it was great, uh, you know, connecting with him there and, um, you know, uh, the CBC obviously caught news. So, you know, they, uh, kind of documented a little bit, you know, a lot, a lot of the journey going across uh, the country, CBC global CTV. So big shouts out to them. And then all the smaller media outlets, obviously going across the, you know, like the little, little cities and yeah. whatnot. And yeah, I got to see the country in a way that, uh, I, I was never able to see it before. You know, it was, uh, absolutely beautiful and um so uh i i believe that it, 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 i was just the vessel it was never uh it was never about me it was uh it was it was a wee thing and um yeah emotional yeah. emotional ride and um now it's uh it's being created into a film uh with uh there's uh we're just in negotiations right now i gotta sign a contract tomorrow on <laughs> so it's uh i've been kind of uh, not stressed, but, um, you know, two years, almost two years after the ride's been, uh, yeah. it, almost two years, it's been done now. Um, but it'll be two years actually, uh, June, uh, June, July, August, August 3rd is when I finished the ride of two in 2019. So it'll be almost two years, but, um, you know, now it's being turned into a film. We have uh, two two Oscar award uh, winning uh, a director and producer, uh, John Zaritsky and Gordon McKella, um, who um, they really took notice of, you know, what we're doing with this. And, um, you know, we're incorporating a lot of, uh, uh, you know, some NHL guys are going to be in telling their stories as well. Uh, one of them, a very close dear friend of mine, Brent Sopel, uh, he'll be telling his story in there and, you know, he's got the Brent Sopel foundation, him and Rod are really good friends as well. So, you know, everything's kind of connected too, right? So, yeah. um, you know, Brent and I talk on a daily basis and we always, we're, we always check in on each other and, uh, yeah, super grateful for his friendship and, uh, you know, he's here to change the world and, uh, and he's doing just that with, uh, you know, you know, raising awareness for dyslexia. And, uh, amongst other things, uh, just a solid guy and, um, 
yeah, you know, it's, when you do things like this, you know, the, the kind of people you meet along the way. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Are those people that just, you know, they take and they see what you're doing. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, Brent and I go way back. You know, I played against him when he was in Saskatoon. And when he was playing in Vancouver, I remember when he was here for his first training camp. And we, you know, we laughed about that one. (laughs) Back when we were double fisting and... uh, in the good old days, right? So, you know, he's uh, <laughs> Brent's a sober guy too now. I know Roddy is as well. So, you know, uh, so things, yeah. just funny how things, funny how things work out in life and, you know, how dots connect. And uh, life is such a gift. And oh, I've yeah. just been so blessed to be able to do these things, you know. And uh, I believe it's not me, it's something outside of me. Yeah. It's a power great power greater than me that actually centrifugally pushed me across that country for the definite purpose of giving back and trying to help others for the, for mental health awareness. Yeah. So with the bike ride across Canada, number one, how long did it take you? And number two, what was the best part? The the, Uh, the, the nicest part? You know what? A lot of people have asked me that. I'll tell you, the most challenging part was the prairies because it rained for about 11 days straight. Oh, really? Torrential downpour. I wasn't clipped in. I got like Under Armour running <laughs> shoes on. I was five uh, uh, five layers of clothing on. And like I'm just sopping drenched, you know, like going like seven kilometers an hour with the crosswind. And I mean, there was, there, I think that was the only time along the journey where I was like, I almost broke down. I was, well, I did break down emotionally. Like I'm like hunched over my bike in the middle of the prairie somewhere. And I'm just like, I think I did a hundred kilometers that day, but it took me like 10 hours. Cause I was going so slow, almost got run off the road. I don't know how many times with semis and like water being sprayed all over me. It was crazy. And, um, yeah, it was, uh, oh, you know, I love challenges, um, but uh, I tell you, it was, uh, I, when people ask me what was the best part, um, it, it's still the best part, the memories. Every single pedal was a pedal with purpose. And just to be able to do something outside mm-hmm. of myself like that, um, yeah, it was, uh, it was, everything was awesome. Uh, the, I, I took pleasure in the pain. <laughs> Yeah, no pain, no yeah, gain. Yeah, no kidding. And, uh, I would have expected. 
I would have expected you to say that the uh, mountains in BC, the Rockies would have been the most challenging and the prairies would have been the easiest. <laughs> well, the Rockies were so beautiful that uh, the leg pain didn't bother me. It was, you know, just being up in those mountains and that just, uh, just that that fresh air, the oxygen, just seeing, you know, big moose and bears and eagles flying across and just like the beauty of this country is just, this. it's incredible. Uh, you know, it's, it's undescribable. Yeah. And, you know, to meet all, to meet so many people that actually, you know, cry, you know, all the hugs and the cries on the shoulders and to be able to share that energy and, yeah. uh, you know, with, with, with other people that lost, you know, uh, maybe a, 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 their, 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 their soulmate or their, you know, their husband, wife or a son, a daughter or whatever to suicide uh, or, you know, uh, had been in, t in, in the psych ward before or something like that. I've never been in the psych ward. Um, you know, a lot of the purpose, uh, for this ride as well is I, I have a young daughter. Uh, she's not so young anymore. She's almost, she'll, she'll be turning 22 this July, hmm. July 10th. And, um, you know, she actually suffers from, so they say schizophrenia and she's had a lot of addiction issues herself. Um, but she's clean now and, you know, she's making, uh, she's on the road to recovery. So she's been clean now for almost two months. And, um, you know, a lot of it was, I, just, I really wanted to show Sadie, my daughter, that her old man, uh, you know, cares so much and, um, you know, will never back down from uh, something that means, you know, our mental health is everything. If we don't have our mental faculties, you know, yeah. rolling in, in the flow and, you know, especially, you know, with addiction and whatnot, all this all plays into the mental health soup, so to speak, um, you know. I was mm -hmm. uh, willing to go to uh, Wits End to uh, just just to make a difference. Just to if I could, if I could just help one life, you know, if I can inspire just one person, and um, you know, hopefully uh, we'll see how that film goes when, it, when it's released, and uh, you know, millions of people will will see that film and they'll see the dedication um, of not just me, but. Uh, you know, the people that actually, you know, put their stories out there with, you know, complete transparency. And uh, we believe that this right. is, uh, yeah. uh, is, is going to be a, a film that can hopefully change the minds of um, allowing the misunderstood to be understood. So, um, you know, right. we're, we're all dealing with some sort of something, right? And um, yeah. I, I think probably every family has somebody in the family that has struggled along the way. And, you know, my message is that, you know, if you're suffering from any sort of mental health issue, and I've say, I say this always, reach out for help. There is help out there. There is help available. And the number one thing, obviously, is environmental influences. We are who we associate ourselves with, you know, hence, uh, you know, um, hanging out with people that were in organized crime, I became that, you know. You hang out with people that are uh, yeah. doing good things in the world and uh, appreciate what you're doing. You become more of that. So um, the art of intention and the art of allowing and uh, the canvas is what we painted. Exactly. So uh, once this movie comes out, what's next for yeah. Ryan Phillips? <laughs> God, <laughs> there's so many things going on right now. <laughs> Sometimes I, I got I to gotta <laughs> sit down and, and try to compartmentalize everything myself um there's another book deal in in the works and uh uh a, a series obviously uh as like i said before um 
on my life uh, that uh, depicts obviously starting off, you know, as a young boy, you know, hockey that led into, you know, the king of weed on, uh, I don't think I was the king of weed. Uh, I was just, uh, you know, I knew what I was doing, how to get, uh, get something from point A to point B. And, uh, you know, so uh, it'll be kind of, I think, a mixture of uh, Goodfellas, Casino, and uh, uh, <laughs> uh, Pablo Escobar, but marijuana. I was never, I never, <laughs> sold co- I never sold cocaine in my life. It was just the plant. Um, like I said, I paid the price. And, uh, you know, I, I did learn my lesson after, you know, getting back into it for a little bit. But, you know, um, <clears throat> It's all about, uh, you know, expansion and uh, understanding that, you know, who you really are. And, uh, you know, for me, it was, uh, you know, I was never that that identity. You know, my my when I leave this planet, I don't want to be I don't want to be remembered for, you know, being a weed smuggler or hockey or any of that. I just want to be remembered for somebody that left a legacy of good. And Mm -hmm. if I can be a positive role model for anybody out there, that's uh you know, that's what I try to do every day, whether it be, like I said, just opening doors for people and just giving a smile. Yeah. So now you've been, uh, it's been over 10 years since you played hockey. Are you still involved in hockey at all in any way? That's, it's funny that you say that. I actually, I hadn't been on the ice in almost 10 years. And in 2009, I made a comeback. Um, I rented the ice out uh, for all the NHL boys here in Vancouver and, um, uh, I trained like my butt off, like nobody's business for like seven months. I think it was, I, I, I think I was on the ice six, six, seven days a week training, you know, off the ice, like a machine I was 34 years old at the time. And I got a tryout over at the, in the extra league in Slovakia. And I, I, I made the team and oh, wow. that was closure for me. I, after I made the team and I realized that it was kind of like, I don't want this anymore. I I'm good. I, 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 I show, I actually, I proved to myself that I could actually do it again and, and have that capability of, I, I actually was a better hockey player at 34 than I was ever, you know, because I really put my mind to it and, you know, my, my mindset had really shifted and changed. And, you know, I was, I was so clean mm-hmm. and sober, even though, you know, uh, I had, you know, still some concussion syndromes going on. Um, you know, I was, I was much more resilient 10 years ago than I am now. <laughs> but, uh, um, yeah, you know, I, uh, made the team and, uh, I said, you know what, it's not for me. I'm done. This is closure. So then I went and traveled Europe for two months and, yeah. uh, you know, came back to Canada and started on bike. Started on the, uh, did I, did I ride from Europe? Uh, yeah. On, on a water bike. across <laughs> the ocean. Christ. Did, did you, no. did you, you didn't no bike, no biking across Europe? <laughs> no biking across Europe. Not yet. But, uh, you know what? I, I would love to actually, not yet. Across, not yet. No. Uh, we'll see. I, I was, I was, I, I actually was, uh, I was planning on after the whole Canadian ride, I was going to go, uh, across the States. Um, but, you know, the whole sea thing came in. I hate that word. C-O-V-I-D. And uh, um, yeah. unfortunately, that put, uh, unfortunately, but fortunately, because it's allowed me to focus on the film and whatnot. And, um, you know, uh, we'll see what happens. We'll see. We'll see what kind of yeah. leg power I got next year. 
<laughs> so are you watching hockey at all? Are you watching any of the Stanley Cup playoffs? A little bit here and there. I, I, I don't, you know, I, I pay attention to the stats and whatnot. Um, but, uh, you know, the hockey's so good these days. These kids are unbelievable. And, um, yeah, you know, I, uh, I'm pulling for the Habs. So, oh. Um, <laughs> You know, it was uh, yeah. They, they, it was uh, it was that was a good comeback they made with, on the Leafs there. But um, yeah, we'll see what happens. Tampa's looking pretty good too. So oh. you know, you never know. So um, yeah, I don't know. I, I watched a little bit here and there. I, I'm in tune. Yeah, um, my team right now is Vegas because my other team here is out. The Calgary Flames. Yeah. Yeah, I, I would have loved, you know, I actually, I like the Flames a lot better than Canucks. I'm a Vancouver boy, but, I'm Yay! Boy, but I, I am a Flames uh, guy at heart. I love, Theron Fleury's always been one of my favorite players. So he's, you know, uh, and what he's gone through with his trials and tribulations. Yeah. You know, I, I knew a lot of uh, what was going on back then, you know, uh, as a 17 year old. I mean, I remember being at the back of the bus and hearing about a lot of the stuff that was going on with Graham James. And I didn't believe it. Um, but, you know, obviously what was going on, even with, you know, with certain things that was going on on my own teams, um, you know, years later, you don't want to believe those things. And, you know, when that all came out and, you know, kudos to, you know, people like Theron and Sheldon Kennedy and whatnot that, um, you know, they started obviously a ripple effect of players, you know, coming out and saying, you know, I've been abused by, you know, certain coaches, things have happened. And, you know, there's, I, I believe that the hockey culture, it's you know it's in a state of re, we, it definitely needs uh, reformation for sure um you know um I, I i i know it's not as bad as it used to be and thanks to guys like theron sheldon and you know a lot of players that have uh you know come out and obviously talked about you know their uh th their situations that uh you know um probably made them uh, a lot better people and, uh, and helped other people, uh, you know, obviously uh, open up about their own stuff. So um, yeah. Um, yeah. I guess we can end things here then. Uh, we've uh, talked about all your, uh, all your stuff going on and I'll put all the links down below and uh, yeah. Thanks a lot for taking time out of your day. I'm sure you got a lot on the mind and I'll go. So it was a great such conversation. Thank you very much. I really appreciate you having yep, me on. Such is life. And uh, we'll definitely have to catch up in the future. And uh, yeah, when the film's out. Uh, yeah, for we'll, sure. Uh, we'll do another one and we can talk about that. And, um, it, you know, we'll just uh, keep moving forward. And I love what you're doing. Uh, you know, you got a great podcast that you're doing. And um, yeah, really grateful just to have the opportunity to be on. Thanks, man. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks a, a lot. I, I'm growing. I'm growing. <laughs> You're growing. You too, Ryan. <laughs> Thanks a lot. Peace out.
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.